namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammā sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammā sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammā sambuddhassa buddhaṃ dhammaṃ saṅgaṃ namasāmi talk about the uh, um, seven enlightenment factors or seven factors of awakening tonight is it's a night for a, trying to stay awake the <laughs> 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 um, so, so seven bulge hunger hunger is a factor and the bold, bold it comes from the word boldy means to awaken which is a uh, very lovely um, word to apply because sometimes when you kind of wisdom you tend to consider that to be thinking uh, but Buddha wisdom is really awakening which is like suddenly you get a much bigger wider view and things that were shifting shifting around vague uncertain intangible confusing suddenly become clear and your mind feels bright and you're not in a dream anymore you're not kind of sort of swinging and swaying and and incoherent things are clear and this is a really lovely um, thing to consider and so the, the, the Bojanga really are things to like to, to they're things that you want to acknowledge is um, having acknowledged them, you see how they arise. Having seen how they arise, you just cultivate the ways that cause that awakening experience to to arise steadily, strongly, to unfold, to blossom. And you see it doing this. You begin to see the ways in which it can be encouraged to to become strong and to become something that's a, a palpable reality, not just a little kind of Fragment, but actually something that, that begins to take over and occupy the centre of one's life, rather than thinking, worrying, self-consciousness, fear, agitation, desire. These qualities, these are qualities of citta, of one's core essence, one's core, core of one's mind, the core of one's heart, one's soul, or whatever you like to call it, the kind of what makes us tick. So these are certainly not just concepts and ideas. Um, of course, the uh, Buddha was someone who had such a clear reading, ability to read and penetrate and be sensitive to these things that can be quite subtle inflections of the mind. He could just present things in, in great detail that maybe we kind of just get very vague, broad outlines of at first. And so you can consider that there are two fundamental aspects to the Bojanga. One is that they, uh, that they are, some of them particularly are about um, that which encourages inquiry and sensitivity and feeling out what's this about. And those also, uh, and then there are some that, that 
that encourage the ability to be steady, calm, peaceful. So you've got things that kind of sensitize and stimulate in a, in a quite a refined way and, and things that actually just hold and steady and ease. And these two aspects, a kind of sensitivity and a steadying, we can see as, as things that, uh, for me personally, are really um, delightful possibilities in life. Uh, I mean, to be sensitive, uh, so that one can really uh, understand what's happening and feel it out and be alive, rather than kind of just just dominated by ideas, but actually picking it up, receiving it properly. Uh, but then I think, as we all recognise, that just sensitivity alone can mean you just get blown away with everything when you're very sensitive, you haven't got any kind of container or any any way of channeling things, you can be extremely sensitive, but all over the place, and, and blown apart like a dandelion seed on the wind. So then the steadying is that which makes one be kind of have a certain inner gravity and and stability, and, and like uh, you've, got, you've got a foundation, you've got ground. And then you can recognise, of course, that sometimes we can be very steady, but become so grounded, we're like rock, and you're not sensitive anymore. So one can be, you know, some people are very uh, have an appearance of steadiness, but it's brittle, kind of heavy, metallic, sort of holding down things. So they actually lost the sensitivity. And I think that an unenlightened person will tend to, you know, be either one of those two extremes or swing from one extreme to the other. So sometimes people who seem quite kind of together are really just kind of, uh, just bottled up and they've got a lot of armour on so they look quite steady but then a little chink appears and all this jelly starts flowing out <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> you know, a little crack in the armour and they fall apart. Yeah. But those, just those basic aspects are things to, so when one cultivates this, it's like, almost like an inner reflection, say, you know, like we're recognising, are we hot or are we cold? And then you kind of, oh, it's not thinking, it's just pointing and then, hmm, warm. Do you feel happy or do you feel sad? Um, and then maybe a little more refined, do you feel... Do you feel at ease? Yeah. No, I don't actually. What's that happening? I feel a bit... Hmm. Then maybe, you know, you can see when you ask some questions or some ways in which you reflect, you can see that there are, there are subtleties to it, to that dimension of mind. Maybe one feels a bit like inadequate or unwanted or... Or you've got, you know, you don't like this particular person, makes you feel funny, you don't like them. So you've got little areas of dis-ease. And so that when that reflection is sustained through calm, then you're able to pick up and really sensitise to areas of the mind that perhaps you didn't even really acknowledge at first. You thought, yeah, I'm okay. Fine, all right. And then you sit down and sit quietly for a while. Well, I'm not all right, actually. Thought I was. 
Because when you're thinking and acting, you, you, it seems like you're right. And then you start to sit down quietly and gather yourself together, and then suddenly things open up. And you, oh, there's a bit of definitely a bit of gloom there, and a certain sense of restlessness or agitation. So something that seemed a very simple and, and non non issue, when you reflect, you see that actually the, the, there's quite a lot of um, of different dimensions there. Um, so this this way of reflecting is encouraged. It's not thinking. It's more like just sensitizing and feeling out. And just as we can feel out and be sensitive to our problems and difficulties and our personal karma, then also we can feel out and be sensitive to uh, the elements of our practice. And this is what these in, these awakening factors are about. They're about elements of our practice that we can acknowledge. If you acknowledge them, if you then you tune into one, and then it actually gives you something that lifts you up a little bit, because, say, you begin to recognize, yes, there is a certain quality, say, of, of mindfulness, or of uh, investigation into things, uh, or of calm. Now, I can, if I tune into that, then acknowledging it, feeling it out, enhancing it, bringing it alive, making it work, Whereas if one reflects upon one's mind and you see a particular nagging thought and you look at that and you think about it, then that becomes dominant. Mm. So in meditation sometimes we can get very, very self-conscious because maybe we're we're observing ourself as it were and we get very highly detailed readouts on myself. You know, this bad mood and these funny feelings and these kind of things and another. So you get a, but the the problem can be is that yeah, it's all true, it's true. But but one is still only actually looking with one aim in mind and one view in mind about myself. So that's what you see. Yeah. Yeah. And you see the the uh, the you get analysis and you get um, personal history and you get um, quite tr- accurate uh, personality analysis going on. And uh, this is okay to, uh, within within certain uh, bounds, um, but it, it tends to uh, doesn't really lead out to to say to something that's has a feeling of completion and. Uh, and resolution to it in a final way. So uh, these, as one cultivates, then it's good to certainly to begin to to study oneself, if you like, and then to begin to recognise what it is that can study oneself. So these is not a separate issue, really. It's just it's just like a shift of attention to what enables me to be aware of myself, what enables me to watch my thoughts and feelings. What gives me the energy to keep going with this practice? Um, you know, what makes you feel some sense of calm and ease? So that you, you begin to cultivate like that. And these uh, these bojunga, um, awakening factors, are a first one is called um, satisankata, which means uh, mindful recognition of... Um, the conditioned things, uh, that is that 
one, one recognizes thoughts and feelings, uh, uh, forms and impressions, and we see them as recognizing them as things that come into being. They, they, they are the things that arise in our minds. Uh, they, they, they pop into consciousness, they come up. And you, the more that you cultivate this quality of, of mindfulness of, of mind, mindfulness uh, of body, and mindfulness of feelings and so on, then you begin to see that the power, certainly the power of attention and the quality of attention and the mood is a powerful factor in what occurs. So naturally, if we're in a, the mindset is, is gloomy and depressed, then what tends to come up is things that, that affirm that. We get quite critical or, or miserable or pessimistic. So satisankata means you're, you can be aware of a particular um, incident or thought form or idea or whatever arising dependent in, in a conditioned way. It comes because of particular conditions that support it and it arises and then it also has the nature to pass and cease when the one's uh, attitude towards that changes, when the background of the mind changes, when your fundamental uh, response to, to thoughts and feelings changes. And this is a very powerful um, lesson to learn, an extremely beautiful thing to, to accomplish. And probably... Um, Awareness of things as rising and ceasing. Yeah, and this is well, you, know, you can practice for years with this. This is just this one alone is 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 tremendously um, uh, rewarding in a, in a kind of calming and, and clearing way because there's no particular issue then. No, I shouldn't feel this, I shouldn't feel that, I've got to feel this, I couldn't feel that. It's, it's, this is what's happening, it comes up, and then knowing what brings it up, and then, is, then we can recognize, is this, is this uh, helpful? Um, does it, where does it go to? What does it do to me? So you're aware of how it conditions other things, and then what happens when one changes one that one's one's attitude towards that. So you have a memory, and uh, or a thought, or a desire, or something like that comes up into your mind, and you see it comes from a feeling of hunger or need or anxiety, and it comes up. You get something powerful, inclination or or a drive or urge towards food, drink, music going places, sex, whatever, something comes up like that. And you see it's dependent. It arises dependent on this state of lack or of dis-ease or of, or of unrest. It comes up and it, then it focuses and it, it's got a powerful focal pull to it because it galvanizes attention. So your attention is then riveted on it and then that power of attention being riveted on it then means the thing actually tends to expand and, and get quite colourful and bright and so on and this is where someone who's um, interested in in um, being freed from this experience because it does capture your attention and it can be extremely 
frustrating, unsettling, then you start to see how you can observe that experience in an objective way rather than um, I should, I shouldn't, why am I this way, why am I that way, and so on. And the trick of it is to is to begin to look at the whole thing as just a phenomenon of arising, something a phenomenon of arising, something that just comes up, and what it does. So you, you know, which you, you shift your attention from the topic of your thought to being aware of the process of it. So if you keep focusing on the topic and you get fascinated by the topic, you either follow it or you try and stuff it down. But it, it, you still get lost in the topic of your thought or your, or your uh, feeling. If you're aware of the, the very quality of that thought and feeling, it's vibrant, it's agitating, it's stimulating, it arises, it's like that, then in a way you're aware of the process of that. So this is not denial of it. But then your mind is not getting the food of the topic. So the, 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 that process is stimulated by the nature of the topic. You get a picture of some you know, nice place you'd like to be and you keep looking at that. And you get stimulated by it. Now if you look at the sense of stimulation rather than the, the, the topic itself, stimulation is not so pleasant actually and your mind doesn't get the food which comes from the, the, the picture or the image in, it, in the mind so then the, 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 the whole thing is the nature to then it's rather like you knock take, the, take it out of gear and it starts to decline you get this wave formation essentially arising and ceasing so, um, for kind of, one would say the almost the, the the fundamentals of meditation practice is around like, is doing this, just remembering to do this, being willing to do it, being willing to be mindful of the conditioned nature of things, and that itself um, is. It's challenging, um, and also it, the difficulties because uh, most of us have got a certain amount of investment in our topics, in our thoughts. We don't want to be mindful of them. Actually, I don't want to see them cease. I like to see them go up and stay there, because <laughs> it's nice, you know. <laughs> It's nice to have little things to, to think about uh, and get off on. The stimulating feeling is not unpleasant, it's very pleasant, it makes me feel alive. I feel quite joyed up. And watching things come and go is a bit sort of... That's what it's like at first. You know? So, um, this... Really, this is why it takes a long time why most people require more than seven days to get enlightened. (laughs) (laughs) So we have this uh, practice 
I don't know why, but um, for whatever reason it is, something in us, or something in some of us, actually think, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't, this is nice, but it's something, something's not working here. Uh, the mind is not reliable, because although it's pleasant to have the kind of good ones arising, when the bad ones arise, and you're still doing the same thing, now you're getting fixated on it, then it's a problem. I don't mind getting uh, lovely, fascinating, delightful pictures in my mind. When I get the horrors, it's not so nice. You get totally miserable. So you want to disengage from those. But of course, the trick is you can't disengage from that unless you disengage from the pleasant stuff. In other words, you know, you, you've got to perform that particular activity of mind. So you probably start off trying to disengage from the less tasty stuff. You know, a bit of, of uh, grief and misery and fear. I don't mind letting go of that. So you probably start off like that and start to learn that, that experience of recognising the arising and ceasing of misery and fear and, and loathing, <laughs> restlessness or whatever. And then you, you, know, you experience, well, it's rather nice that, uh, that when things do arise and cease, then there's a, there's a certain sort of subtle pleasantness there, kind of easy, pleasant, uh, quality, the mind feels rather nice it, it feels actually a little gentler and uh, more um, um, receptive and, and, and relaxed than when it's, when it's fired up so perhaps when we begin to watch the arising and ceasing of things that we don't like then we may be a little bit more encouraged to, to put that process to, to, into action on things that we rather, rather like and enjoy, sense desire Thinking, mm. having my own way, things like that, which I really, really do like a lot. <laughs> mm. So it, it kind of encourages this quality of, of, of samvara, which is um, um, collecting or gathering or drawing in the sense sense fields. Mm. And this is really. Uh, something that probably arises at first anyway because you recognise if you just let the sense sense activity just explode in any direction then uh, sooner or later you come to grief that is one, one indulges, one gets intoxicated one oversteps the boundaries you pig out on things so you've got to kind of tidy up the act a bit so you pull in a little bit and um, this again is, is something that, that comes from one's own sensitivity, really. Uh, and I think one of the problems with, with the whole Sangwara sense collectiveness or sense restraint experience is that for many people, um, sense restraint is very much associated with somebody else saying, You can't do this. Somebody else saying, You can't have that. Somebody else saying it's naughty to do that, so we get a, a kind of a feeling of uh, like a puritanical disapproval, and then we don't like that at all. So in some ways, it seems more freeing to actually be sensual than to be restrained, because restraint has always got a negative connotation to it. It's always coming from somebody else, and it's only when this restraint comes from oneself. Um, that, it's, that it's actually working properly. Then um, one, one feels, oh, it doesn't feel so good. It's like your mind gets burnt out 
So you don't, you don't want to do that. You sooner pull it in a bit. Um, and this is rather like also the recognition that there's a difference between desire and energy. So, for example, um, sexual uh, desire is something that can be extremely inflammatory and explosive. So when we collect that, it doesn't mean there's no no energy. It means that energy is, is actually contained. And then you've got a very powerful um, force called the jivita, which is essentially just basically part of nature. Jivita is life force or um, chi, if you like, or sexual energy. And when it's not going out into sexual behavior, and it's not even going out into sexual um, thought and, and instinct, then it becomes something that's got a, a bright um, radiance to it and it, it supports, very much supports one's practice and one's vitality. Um, so this certainly is not a kind of a, an anaesthetic job or a guillotining job. It's very much a kind of collecting and drawing in. And that, then that, if we begin to kind of get a feeling for that through the process of mindfulness, then, uh, you know, you know, you can trust it and you can develop it and it gives you authority, actually. It's not somebody else is taking it over, controlling you, but you, you find your own authority because you are actually um, sustaining your own steadiness and clarity and, and uh, connectedness. You're kind of, uh, uh, instead of being blown out onto this object and that object. And it tends to, then you find that the very quality of desire, when it's contained, transmutes into an energy that, that sustains one's, one's uh, steadiness and one's awareness. Now, so this is a very um, key insight. And I think through the process of satisankata, then you develop, you see how that sense collecting the sense restraint works, how it doesn't work, and how um, when it does work and it's working properly, you get a you get a result that actually feel makes you feel good. It makes you feel whole, it makes you feel steady and it makes you feel peaceful. So this is this is certainly something to, to cultivate. Once you see it, then you can cultivate it around um, Say, um, obviously, first of all, around the moral, moral things, ethical things like uh, um, right speech and um, sexual, either sexual, um, you know, refraining from sexual misconduct or even celibacy. So then, and then, uh, refraining from alcohol and so on, and then someone who's like, living like we do then just eating the one meal or a meal and a little something and the kind of ways in which we we uh, pull in and we collect those life energies so they're available for uh, one's, own, one's practice. And really look at that because it's, a, it's something that to be cultivated. Once you, once you acknowledge it, see its goodness, then cultivate it yeah. So is it cultivated in the way that you 
like gather your body so that your body is composed when you walk around. It's not kind of running around, you know. <laughs> you, kind of, you live here. So again, the tendency to be living out in the future or to, to be, uh, you know, living for the future is collected in, like the, the, the outgoing tendency of mind is gathered in. Like, here we are, here I am. Now I'm walking, now I'm standing. <laughs> yeah. So, and then the way of thinking. So, very often the thinking mind is a primary agent for the ways in which we get go out. Uh, thinking mind immediately responds, picks up an impression, and runs with it. So, learning to be quite steady and systematically in one's thinking. Do this first, then that, and this and that. Just today, all you have to do is this. So, when you have a retreat, for example, you don't have to think about March, April. Um, you don't have to think about very much at all, actually. But it's amazing how much one thinks. <laughs> you know, just to sort of keep it very simple. Um, so, the idea of like, uh, you know, refraining from speech or when it's really needed, or talking on Dhamma, um, writing letters, reading letters, things like that, just kind of to, to, so that you just, you know, that, that can be collected in. Mm. The mind, so the thinking mind, is, is uh, um, not like fireworks, you know. So you light the blue touch paper and sing. Some people are like Catherine wheels, you know, just spin around around on one spot. <laughs> I mean, the ones are like skyrockets. They just so you put an idea, then it shoots off at a tangent, does a few loops and explodes. And then there's something like firecrackers, you know, jump, 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 bang, bang. And the idea is to, to that even you think it's more like lighting a candle. You know, here's a thought. Now just like then, just stay with that. You know, it's not don't think even, but just put that thought there. Now, hmm. Like you'd light a candle; it's got soft glow to it. Look at the glow. What's that thought about? Does it feel like? See, you know. So, rather than even trying to stop thinking, just slowing down, collecting a thought, deliberately thinking. You know, if you something to think about, then do it steadily and carefully and slowly, and then look at the topic of the thought, feel it out, feel, look at your relationship to that thought. You don't want to, you dismiss it. You don't want to think about that, or you feel worried by it, or you don't think it's a very, you know, and just calm and steady the mind. So that with this process of of mindfulness and sense and sense restraint, you also get the the possibility for what's called Dhamma Vijaya, which is the second of the awakening factors, which means you you feel out things. There's this sense of exploration in terms of Dhamma. So rather than just infatuation, um, stimulation, or repression, or, you know, think that and think this and then think that, and dart all over the place, it's just like skipping then the Dhamma Vijaya means that a thought or a feeling or sense contact 
is held and it's felt and discerned and explored and penetrated. Mm-hmm. So naturally, in order to, to sustain this process, then ideally you, you want to simplify so that you've got, you, know, you can really get into one or two rather than have a thousand happening in a couple of minutes. So that's how the sense restraint, calming and steadying, then naturally um, means that, that what, what does occur can be, be more fully explored, felt out, both as a phenomenon, something arising and ceasing, and also for um, how it affects one personally. Like, you know, is this the kind of impression that I, I tend to push away? Is this the kind of impression that I feel ashamed of? Is this the kind of impression that I, um, I want to have more of? Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so why? You know, just looking at it like that, really explore and investigate one's, one's, uh, one's mind, one's process as it goes on. And perhaps not to have too many um, fixed conclusions. Because uh, sometimes the whole topic of a, a rising, a passing away has a hidden message that what you really want is for everything to pass away. So it's got a slightly negative feeling to it. Like ideally, you don't have anything. And um, this is um, means that we're actually already tilting the board a little bit. We've already got a bias there. And uh, so, so sometimes it's, if, it's important to recognize being open to the arising of things. Uh, open to it and then to the way it is. So some things are obviously uh, pleasant, some things are unpleasant. So this particular teaching on arising and ceasing, then um, when I was first with Ajahn Samadha, this was basically all he taught, was that, that and letting go. It was, you know, certainly five years or so, that was, that was enough. So he'd say this and say this to me and I'd look at him and say yeah, so everything rises and ceases and something else arises <laughs> so what? You know? <laughs> look a bit mm. <laughs> of course the, the uh, you know the, 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 so the other thing you've got to remember is the thing that's more difficult to see is and is not self <laughs> but it is self, it's me <laughs> well okay go back just rising and ceasing <laughs> And uh, one wanted things to cease. You know, and things I didn't like. My mind being agitated and depressed and gloomy and, and, and I wanted things to cease. And actually being, having the patience and the willingness to let things arise and see them, uh, try to see them more dispassionately. So around that, naturally, there's a lot of, a lot of um, practices going on about Kindness and openness and patience and equanimity, you know, really kind of what, what is required to make just this practice arising and ceasing something that is, is carried out in purity and fully developed. And that the sense restraint is not a throttling, but a careful gathering in 
and the sense of investigation of Dhamma is not just um, an analysis, but a real exploration and penetration of what's happening for us. And I think with these, then they do just as it seems to me there's a natural consequence of this is that that one does actually then want to to cool down and lighten that up and uh, you know be more at ease and also have less going on. So there's a tendency to lightness and to simplicity that comes out of those in order to 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 make enhance them. Most of us probably, um, you know, in this time, fumble around with a bit of mindfulness of breathing from time to time. And so, the, you know, you have something to do in between. <laughs> one, one moment of craving and one moment of despair. <laughs> so, you know, mindfulness of breathing is... is uh, or mindfulness of the body, physical sensations, and the, the breathing processes are things that actually act as as kind of references that you, you keep coming back to. And so in this you have the the first stages of it are to, is, is that one is encouraged to cultivate a full awareness of one inhalation, one exhalation, and then to, well, having done that, uh, <laughs> you don't want to do it, it takes a while, uh, to fully, to be able to fully do, it, do it fully, so that that is experiences arising and passing away, and then you begin to explore that, uh, explore that, and feel out what that feels like, you know, what actually happens when it goes on. So it's not just the, well, okay, it came and went, so what? It's not just an idea, but actual feeling out, like, when you're breathing, what happens? You know, listen there. Listen, listen, physically listen, not just mentally listen, but physically listen. Can you feel your, what happens to your body when you breathe in? Can you feel what happens to your body when you breathe out? Of course you can't, because your knees hurt. <laughs> and you're thinking about dinner and... <laughs> That's why it takes a while. <laughs> so you have to work on just the, the pain in your knees and the thought in your mind as arising and ceasing. So that's this first Anapanasati experience is, is, is something that, you know, be aware of a breath fully already means a quite a profound development of these... Um, Satisankata Dhamma Vijaya. And, uh, but the result is this quality of virya, which means you've got a sustaining energy. Now, this is a consequence of limiting one's attention so your attention isn't scattered, limiting one's activity so your energy is not used up, uh, collecting. And then being aware, witnessing arising and ceasing, and then going into the quality of things rather than out into the proliferation of things. Mm-hmm. So this, all this collects and gathers energy rather than dissipates it out into the thousandfold world system. This is the third of the awakening factors: virya, energy. So what 
in practice begins to occur is the more one is ready and available and able to witness arising and ceasing, then there's a kind of continuity there because there's a sort of a ground of mind through which things arise and cease. First of all, it's just minimal. You're just aware of the flickering movements. And then as you develop uh, that, that practice more clearly, more fully, then it's rather like there's a sense of presence of mind or presence of attention. And things come up and then pass away. And there's a moment when there isn't anything there, just maybe a split second when, and then something else comes up. And there's a moment again. And in that moment you begin to feel out a kind of underlying ground of attention, underlying ground of, of consciousness. And uh, that's, that is, that, that for, in terms of Dhamma Vijaya, of exploration, and that's really interesting, because I think for most of us, certainly for myself, you know, the assumption of reality is about all the stuff in it, all the things popping up and going all over the place. There doesn't seem to be an underlying ground except this vague feeling of me. When we begin to recognize there's, there's something else, and it doesn't seem to be me, then this is, this is interesting. And the more the mind inclines towards that, you get the, the attention, where attention goes, energy goes. You see, you get this kind of quality of an underlying energy or a, a contained energy of attention. And it seems to be that the balance then shifts from the phenomena, which are the things that are happening, to the noumena, which is the thing that's witnessing or the thing that's aware, if you like to call it a thing. Uh, this, is, this is really quite significant. Now, in... in um, because then one does actually stimulate the courage and, and, and um, faith and the ability to, well, okay, if I'm not all these things, if there's this sense of being an awareness, then now I've got a little more authority, a little more, this is my space now. It's not just uh, being dragged around every which way by whatever happens. There's some sense of a presence there which just doesn't seem to be the things that are happening. So this certainly gives one a little more sense of, um, of steadiness. And because of that steadiness, then we're able to be a little uh, more developed in our, in our sensitivity. Because now you can feel things out. You've got a place, a refuge place, a place where you can feel things out, and they come and they go, and, you're, and you can sensitize to that. And it doesn't rock you, it doesn't blow you apart. Now, in terms of, of mindfulness of breathing, there's, there's two ways that, that the practice can, can go from, from that point. And so that the one way is to go to what's normally called the fourth of the tetrads, or the fourth of the groups, which involves the experience of 
impermanence, the experience of of um, coolness or dispassion, which is this, and, uh, and the experience of of stopping and the experience of relinquishment. And these really refer to that ground of attention. So, in order to be aware of impermanence, there's got to be some sort of basic attentiveness that's not flickering. So, like, if you see things change, what is it that witnesses things changing? Like, if you're standing on the platform and the train pulls out, it's because you're standing on the platform that you can witness the thing passing. So, this... uh, quality of the experience, the experience, not just thinking about impermanence, the experience of things is changing, um, does refers to that, uh, that quality of, of an aware consciousness. And dispassion means that because of that groundedness or rootedness in that, then one doesn't invest a lot of energy and, uh, into the phenomena, into the things that come and go. You don't get on the train because it's just going to wind up going round in circles. It, it's not something that you have a, a great deal of investment in. Nor do you, neither do you resist phenomena. They're just that. So th- there's that, that, that kind of collectedness. And therefore the mind inclines towards stopping, which is actually staying where it is rather than going out. Um, it's that inclination towards calming down and stopping and not getting um, activated by everything. And some word like stopping or cessation has to be understood as as the cessation of activity, not the cessation of of awareness. (laughs) The cessation of awareness is quite easy to do, actually. (laughs) The cessation of, of mental activities... And, and this is not, again, it's not a, a, a suppression. the twisted ropes of mountains, streams, up to... ...of awareness. <laughs> the cessation of awareness is quite easy to do, actually. <laughs> The cessation of, of mental activities, and, and this is not again, it's not a, a suppression, but a rec, but comes from this feeling. Of what your mind inclines to is this still point of witnessing, and through that, as that develops, then there's the ability to to relinquish the various kinds of angles and views and attitudes and um, and worries and and defences that we take to be ourselves. So there's this self-relinquishment. So then one can actually proceed from the first directly to this force by, by if the mind is strong, attention is strong through the power of, of these enlightenment factors, these first three, just focusing on a physical phenomenon. And you then become one point of that phenomenon. And you focus on that phenomenon as arising and ceasing. And you practice from there. And this is very much a, a way of um, the particular feeling, the physical feeling associated with, say, with breathing, when you're doing it like that. Just the physical contact, boop, 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 like that. 
Now, this is uh, this is the shortcut, and like all shortcuts, it, it's like you know you can go the scenic route, which is generally a bit gentler and easier. It's got a few nice snack bars and <laughs> on the route, or you can go the direct route, which means climbing up the rock face, which is quick, provided you don't fall off. Uh, <laughs> And uh, there are no snack bars on the way. So this is the kind of the, 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 the north face thing. And in order to do that, you've got to be in pretty good shape, actually. Um, but you can do that, but it, it tends to require quite a lot of energy and a lot of faith and a lot of wisdom. So let's, <laughs> let's rule that one out. <laughs> well, you can do it for periods of time. The drawback, <laughs> when it seems to me that it does kind of curtail the uh, the whole whole kind of um, topology or, or, or the, the, the topology of mind, which involves <coughs> essentially its uh, pleasure, um, its image making tendencies, uh, its imagination, its pleasure, its pleasurability. Um, it just more or less cuts that off. It says, don't bother with the mind at all. Here's a sensation, breath. It comes and goes. That's enough. Out. You know. Uh, uh, but there's the other route. The scenic route goes through through pleasure and uh, imagination, if you like. That these qualities, kind of aspects of of our of existence. So um, this is, I think, perhaps in a more fuller uh, way. Um, if these issues, if these things are not actually understood, our, our love of pleasure, our creativity, if you like, our image-forming tendencies, these are not understood, they're left on the shelf, then, you know, maybe you can have been, the shortcut might have been a bit too short. And certain things have perhaps have not been fully aired and worked out. So the scenic route is through uh, focusing more on the mental feeling associated with the meditation object rather than the physical feeling. Now, it may be difficult first to, to differentiate between the two. So this is why it uh, we, uh, the, the key term is this fourth bojang, which is piti. Piti, which means a certain which is a, a certain, which is a mental quality, and it's a certain raptness when we're enwrapped with something. When you're enwrapped with something, you're fascinated by it, if you like, and the mind is delighted, and we're enthusiastic, and we feel a sense of, of a, some like a, almost like a mental arousal. Now, um, if you just stay with the physical sensation, that's that's quite subtle. Um, so, but then if one is actually encouraging this enlightenment factor, then you, you go around more to, not just to the physical feeling, but how does the mind feel about that? How do, how do we respond to that? And this can be extremely delightful. That is, if the one's practice has developed to the point when we can sustain awareness on a meditation object, which may happen one day, <laughs> then uh, I'll just let you know. <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, 
then uh, and there's that the quality or the recognition of imper- impermanence is also a kind of joyful experience because it does mean one's very much in the moment there's that kind of sense of this moment that moment this moment that's all we need to be with and it's rather like uh, before the, the experience of anicca impermanence has fully established itself then what we experience as self as being we experience as self as being the thing that changes I'm doing this, I'm going here tomorrow is this, next year that I am a thing moving in time the more that you sustain this awareness of, of, of uh, um, change then your time you deliberately bring your time slot back to just the moment at a time, just a half a breath, just this moment of the breath, just this one footstep, just right now. And then as that becomes more settled, the space of your mind can open up and time, or what, what gives rise to time, then passes through you rather than you passing through time. So this again is this sense of the ground of attention then becomes something through which phenomena pass so that the experience of time is something that's passing through you rather than you rushing along from this to that. So there's a flow of, of, of experiences. Then if, you, if your attention is then just resting on the moment, the, the experience that comes up, then there's a kind of delightful freshness to, the, to your attention. It's so the experience of joy, uh, joy of the mind, is in the unique freshness of experiences, rather than things get dreary and habitual. So this is this is this sense way in which this quality pity is aroused, and uh, so it's it's can be minimal when one is aware of the physical sensation, and the more you actually acknowledge. Hey, this is this is actually a bright experience for me. Then you turn your attention towards how the mind, how you feel about that. The mind resonates with joy. So um, then, as I say, once you've acknowledged this experience, then it develops. That is, one can be more fully allowing of the experience of joy in the mind and it becomes a focal point so the breath sets up or the immediacy of the breath experience sets up a kind of a pleasurable uh, rippling and enjoyment of mind and this is where the, the what they call the second tetrad or the second group of the Anapanasati begins with that begin to fully experience that and, and dwell in it and, and make much of it. And it leads to the quality of, of uh, contentment or happiness, which is a sort of relaxed state. And so as one, if one cultivates this, the idea is that having acknowledged it, having recognised it, having turned towards it, you develop it, you encourage it, and you spread it so that it becomes a whole field in which your whole bodily experience then becomes uh, endowed with that. And one can experience it physiologically. You experience almost like sometimes a kind of inner uh, trembling and gladdening um, 
on a kind of physiological level. Then um, what's called the, the fifth of the awakening factors is pasadi, which means cooling it all down. And this takes place in the second group of the Anapanasati. That's having experienced that, then there's just that inclination to just cool it down. Whereas, if it doesn't cool down, then what can happen is it, it escalates the point when you start um, getting too high, and you get blown away by it all. You start to think, "Well, I'm enlightened," or um, you know, it, it gets it gets uh, it gets over the top. So. You, you cool it down, and you cool it down essentially because um, the more you're aware of that that experience, the more you experience there's a kind of innate rockiness to it, getting stimulated, and so the pus, uh, the sense of cooling, uh, uh, the, the this this mental um, this subtle form of mental activity, and um, so this is, if you like, the the fifth of the these enlightenment factors and it's developed in anapanasati like that continual inclination to pasadi to, to cooling and calming um, samadhi and upeka the sixth and the seventh samadhi um, in general refers to the uh, tranquil Ease associated with a collected mind, a, a kind of collected, and it's easy. It feels easy. So this is a natural result of all the rest of it. And it's not that that one abandons, because the process of mindfulness has to keep occurring in order to act as the essential steersman, the essential pilot. That's recognizing. Wait a minute. This is getting. This is getting too much. Uh, how does this feel? The Dhammavijaya. How does this pity feel? It feels good. Now it's getting a little bit wearying. So perhaps we could. You know, is that sense in which one, these two factors stay with the practice and keep monitoring and reporting on what's going on. Um, so the, the third, third base of first tetrad. Of Anapanasati deals with uh, acknowledging or being sensitive to the mind um, rather than the things that are happening to it rather than the the um, phenomena that appear in the mind particularly in the state uh, of when the mind is, is focused you know so then the mind seem, seems like there's a, there's a cooling to the point when it's just the quality of attention itself is where you feel most comfortable because even the, the sense of being happy is a little bit sort of agitating so then you get the sense of the mind standing apart you get the experience of chitta or awareness itself and this is where you have samadhi and uh, equanimity comes as a result of that so st- um, the mind is is acknowledged, recognized. These enlightenment factors are drawn in, so that the quality of attention itself is something that's that feels bright, uh, and then uh, the mind is is pure and clear. So then it feels very easy and steady. 
Now, this is the scenic route. Um, and it leads to what's called the, sometimes called the Vipassana Jitta, or the brightly shining mind. It's not a, and it's called, it's free from blemishes, but um, you still have to come back to the fourth tetrad, or the fourth process, because this brightly shining mind still feels like it's mine. It's me. You know, I now have a bright and shining mind, very nice. <laughs> Just what I wanted. <laughs> you know, you've got a kind of very nice, uh, wholesome, enlarged sense of, of I am. This is, so this is a Brahma, if you like, the Brahma world, a kind of bright, expansive, steady state. And yet it's still got some kind of, um, you know, I'm this, I'm not that. So it has to be again under uh, this process of Dhamma Vijaya and Sati Sankata actually recognizing that. And then actually where these enlightenment factors become significant is that what is it? it is that these actually then become the object of the meditation. So if you like, when the mind is bright, then you begin to investigate what knows brightness. Um, how does this come around? What are the conditions that supported it? So you get this way in which the, the practice begins to turn in on itself so that there's a kind of a, a letting go so that we see that the phenomena are results of practice are rather than self. This is kind of difficult to grasp so it's just there as a reference because um, it's like you know there's not a lot of point talking about it um, uh, if we haven't not ready for it so what is um, more the general theme is to is to look keep um, recognizing how to sustain how to acknowledge rather than um, try to think oneself into or, or to actually acknowledge what is going on. Uh, what is going on in terms of one's intention, inclination, one's, one's movement in the practice, one's subjectivity. This is where the, the bojanga are. So we can, um, we can get, say we can get... Um, happy or or feel pleasant when maybe there are, there are pleasant phenomena occurring in the mind so you, you think you're getting somewhere and it's not that this is not the case maybe maybe not maybe just that uh, you have to be in a situation where nothing's bothering you so perhaps when we're in retreat uh, first few days maybe it's a relief for many people oh, this is nice and then, oh yeah, this is great meditation. And then after about three or four days, and then after a week, <laughs> you know, then when you get under the forest, oh, this is nice space, brightness, light, sunshine, it's all right. And after about four or five days, we are again. And uh, you know, then the retreat ends. Oh, well, good, that's over. That was a bit of a strain. This is all right. And then we go again. <laughs> You know, tend to keep valuing our practice upon what are, sometimes what are just circumstantial. 
and how whatever circumstance changes is a feeling of relief. Phew, now that. And then the same core uh, tendencies can arise that once you're out of the retreat, it's nice not to have to kind of sit there for hours in pain and be able to talk and do things. And then eventually, why well, isn't he turning up on time? Where did somebody put the screwdriver? That idiot. gets <laughs> on. Telephone's ringing, so much to do. The whole thing winds us up again. So we haven't actually um, invested the, the goodness of our activities in the right place. I mean, it's great to have a place like I find to have a place like this to practice in. This is wonderful. Um, you know, space, uh, uh, support, and lovely forest and all that. This is wonderful. And it's very nice when, when the mind uh, feels calm and there's less going on. But also just to acknowledge that these are conditions that are set up. You know, you didn't do anything apart from hang in, really. <laughs> Which perhaps is a certain achievement in even doing that. But so, so now where's the real thing? Is, is have we actually learned to be mindful of the conditioned nature of things? I'm feeling good because good things are happening. This isn't to say you shouldn't feel good, but just to notice, just to be aware of that. And then realize this is a, don't just take that for granted, because this is a pretty slippery thing to base one's um, practice on. What about when things are not so good at happening? What about when neutral things are happening? So to sustain it over a long period of time through the change of events, through the times when it's not very good, times when it's all right, times when it's very good, and then it was very good, now it's not so good. Oh no. And now it's getting terrible. Oh no. <laughs> you know, uh, the, 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 so then, the, you know, when things are going up, it's all right. They start to go down. Oh, no. Now, I turn to be mindful of, so, okay, now some, what the process will almost certainly entail is this, this very much this kind of experience. Relief over a, a moving out of a congested zone of experience into something brighter. And then what does that do? It's like a vacuum cleaner, basically. Once you empty out sucks up a bit of past karma. Suddenly there you are, you know, beating your wife, assassinating your dog, whatever you're doing. <laughs> now the result of that suddenly comes up into the mind. It's like the vacuum cleaner effect. And so then maybe you can do a bit of karma, you sort that out, oh, that's all right. And then another bit. A little bit of something more subtle perhaps. Your innate sense of not being welcome or feeling awkward or comes up. So sure, your practice will tend to go through these periods of calm and resolution and feeling good and into the next traffic jam. And if you base your practice on mindfulness investigation, those two first of all, then you've got a, you've got a sure foundation rather than when this is pleasant or unpleasant, when I feel calm or peaceful. These really are the, the ground, the home, the ground to establish. Mm. And then from that, you know, you, you can, the others will, will tend to, to arise, you know, because they, those two work together to sustain energy and to, to give a sense of calm, to give a sense of authority and to overcome the hindrances. 
Whenever the hindrance arises, then what we've got to work with is not the, the fear or the worry or the disgust or the getting blown away with it. But you've, what you've got to work with is not the sense of I am this, but, you know, and therefore feeling troubled by it all, but this is a phenomenon arising. And you've always got to find ways and means to move and to, to steer and to guide that hindrance into the realm of sati, into the realm where it can be seen as arising and ceasing. And this is, this is there's a whole skill around that, because this is no, hindrances are pretty slippery. Um, they're pretty cunning. But the thing that always gets them is, is the anicca, the, the sense of arising and ceasing, that always gets them. You always got to steer them into that, really, rather than, oh no, I shouldn't be feeling this. Oh no, 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 no I'm supposed to be a good nun. No, 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 no. no you know, all that stuff is is curtains. You never get anywhere with that. You've got to push it into the Nietzsche zone, and that that always gets them. Arising and ceasing, rising and ceasing. Okay, so sometimes that means you've got to be quite spacious and and relaxed and open about it all, not get all tight and fretful. Um, sometimes it means you've got to actually push them back if they're taking over. So the ways in which you operate around this are are varied. Um, spelling them out. So sometimes, like when the hindrance starts to get at you, and you go, oh, no, stop it, stop it, oh, no, stop it. You're supposed to be impermanent. You're supposed to be impermanent. Why aren't you impermanent? <laughs> No, well, actually, what you're saying is go away. So that rather than say, say well, don't be impermanent, please, please, stay longer. Please stay longer. Speak to me. And then think it out slowly. Like, oh, I really want to enjoy this, this feeling of resentment and fury. Please stay with me. Come in. Let me close it. Now, what do you want to say? Oh, yes, go on. Tell me a bit more. And then, so that you actually work with the not getting fascinated with the topic, but how you relate to that topic. So if you've got the feeling of pushing it away, then maybe you need to actually get closer to it and spell it out and slow it down. Just like one would uh, with a wild horse, maybe you can't stop it, but perhaps you can get to, if you can get it to run around in a circle, you know, and then maybe you've got a little bit of bread or an apple or something, it will come a bit closer and then you can actually you get it to, to cool down. You, you contain it. And you contain it within this sphere of impermanence. And that, that's, uh, that's the one that really works. <clears throat> and it, it, it's, it's, uh, it blows away the feeling of conceit. Because once you've experienced just how horrible the mind can be... Um, and you know, and rising and ceasing, it, it, it doesn't give you much to feel uh, conceited about. The mind, my mind, personally, is can be quite disgusting at times. I've been really, I didn't really, really shocked actually. <laughs> 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 quite shocked. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, and it's almost like a kind of um, you know t- t- test, a temptation to see if you're going to just believe in it all. It's once you th- once you develop this experience of Nietzsche, it seems that some force comes in and throws every kind of weird stuff into the mind in order to try to get you to lock in some way, to stiffen up, to repress things, uh, you know, to, to, to feel bad. And um, so it does, it opens up the, all the past karma and all the possibilities of, of, of what the mind can do. So for that, that, the, you know, that real breadth, and then the ability to explore, like, what is this doing to me? Where do I, how do I relate to this? Do I, you know, do I want to play with it? Do I get high on it? Do I say I'm not this? Do I say I am this? And all the kind of shadowy things twittering at the edges of consciousness. You, as your practice develops, you can broaden that and bring them all in. So you work out a lot of, of past karma with this. This is so that essentially that sensitivity entails a responsibility. If you're going to be sensitive, it means you, you know, have to, there has to be responsible to be able to have the capability to acknowledge and witness and stay steady with the whole range of what uh, consciousness can bring up. So one really sees that it, it's all just that perceptions and thoughts that only have the reality that one's confusion and one's longing one's need to be something invest in it I've practiced this myself for many years, and I see now also that the the capability of experiencing the pleasantness of the mind, the the qualities of pity and pasadi, sukha, are also invaluable because they, in a way enrich and relax everything and the strange thing so this quality of samadhi the the way in which the mind when the mind is enriched it then gets it it relaxes a lot more you don't feel you're holding attention attention holds you because it's got that this tremendous uh, power to it so both strengthens and steadies it also the quality of of opening up to the pleasantness and the rapturousness and the enjoyment experience also then does invite in other shreds of clinging and need and want and I am's I want pleasure I want to be pleasant. And unless, unless one has been through that process of really exploring and understanding 
pleasantness of mind as also nothing really then pleasure always remains something on the outside that's beckoning tempting forbidden fruit and you haven't really done with it till you've been fully explored it and understood it this I think is perhaps the the most significant feature of uh, those the second and the third aspects of Tetrasvanapanasati so offer this for your reflection <coughs> mm.